Good morning, church. Again, I just can't stress enough how um, glad I am that you're here with us this morning. It's just a real blessing um, to come to celebrate this time with you guys this morning. And again, I know almost all of you here, not, not me, of course, but all of you uh, here have family that are across the world that you could be with. And, uh, um, you know, you chose to be here uh, celebrating the Lord. So I'm just so thankful that you're here this morning. Um, We'll go ahead and read the main scripture. I'm going to bounce around a little bit this morning through different uh, scriptures, but we'll go ahead and read the main scripture we're going to be focusing on today uh, together. So if you want to stand with me, we'll go ahead and read through this real quick and we'll pray. This is going to be Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 6. It says this, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord God, we just give you this moment to uh, just stir within our hearts, God. I just pray that um, the word spoken here today would be your word alone, Lord Jesus, uh, uh, that you just speak through me this morning, that there wouldn't be a word from me, but it would all be from you, Lord God, if that's possible, Jesus, only in your Holy Spirit. And I just pray that each and every one of us here today would be uh, touched by your words to us in Scripture uh, and touched by your Holy Spirit this morning, um, that you would come and... and, uh, reflect our hearts, that turn our hearts to you this Christmas season, Lord Jesus. We love you, and uh, we pray this all in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So, this morning we did the Advent Candle of Peace, um, and uh, the verse here, uh, here in Isaiah, verses 5 through 6, it says something interesting about peace, and peace is the, the topic I want to focus on this morning. Uh, the kind of peace that Jesus brings. It says here in verses 5 and 6, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So this idea of peace, I I think we all have a lot of different ideas about what peace really is. Um, I think for most of us, probably, we think about peace just as lack of conflict, right? Sometimes we go, uh, especially during this season, maybe we go to family that we don't see very often, right? And we just think, as long as we're not fighting, we're, we're in peace, right? Anyone there sometimes? Maybe? You don't have to raise your hand. It's okay. Maybe the family's sitting right next to you. Who knows? Uh, uh, you know, a lot of times peace is just the absence of conflict, right? Uh, but the Hebrew word used for peace is uh, probably a word that all of us here have heard. It's the word shalom. 
And just as Elizabeth said this morning uh, so well in Advent reading, this word shalom uh, reflects a different idea of peace than just the absence of conflict. Shalom refers to a kind of completeness, sort of a, a wholeness, and even a friendship. Um, the type of peace that Isaiah is describing here is a peace that is one of completeness, one of fulfillment of maybe something that was missing before, a return maybe to the kind of relationship uh, that we were always meant to have with God. We're told now that we have peace with God, and because of our peace with God, we have peace with mankind as well, but we're told we have peace with God because Jesus Christ took the punishment for our sin, right? The idea then follows that it's sin that causes uh, turmoil in our relationship with God. It's, it's sin that causes our peace to be stolen. Why is it that sin robs us of our peace? Why is that? Well, if you think about it, um, sin is necessarily a decision, a willing decision for, for us to act, act outside of the will of God. Um, you think about this with any sort of authority. We're kind of breaking the laws of the divine lawmaker. And again, you think about it with any sort of uh, authority, uh, maybe if, uh, if you're a kid or when, you, when we were kids, uh, the authority of our parents, you know, when we break the authority of our parents, are basically saying, I know better, right? Maybe some of us today, I don't know, don't raise your hand, but maybe some of us go 20 over the speed limit, you know? We break the law in that way and we say, you know, hey, I know better, I can go faster than the speed limit and it's safe, you know? I've been there, okay? I've been there. Um, whenever we sin, it's the same thing with God as when we break the rules of any authority over us. We say we know better than the authority placed over us. In essence, we reject the lordship of God when we sin, no longer really seeing him or at least treating him as God, but instead seeing ourselves as God, as the one who can rightly make uh, all the decisions of our lives, uh, that we know what's best for ourselves. And what's interesting is that you can see this exact same deception, this exact same sort of lie told by Satan in the garden right from the get-go, right in Genesis 3, uh, in the fall of man. I'm sure you're all familiar with the story. It goes like this in uh, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. The servant says to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. So number, number one, he first questions, what, what, questions Eve what God really said. I think some of us get tripped up there, right? We, some of us don't even know what God has said to us. We don't even know what God wants from us. Eve at least knew what God actually did say. She says in response to this, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Catch this. The serpent said to the woman in response, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Again, same sort of, temp same sort of temptation that Satan uh, gave to Eve, he gives to us today. First he questions, he says, you will surely not die. He says basically to them, listen, God doesn't have ultimate power, right? You do. You're the one who can make the choices. You're the one who's in control. 
Don't listen to what God has to say. And secondly, he says, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. He questions the goodness of God. He says, basically, listen, God doesn't have your best interest in mind. You Satan hasn't really come up with much new material since then, really. He really hasn't. Um, he uses the same exact strategies against us to steal our peace, our shalom, our friendship with God. And when we sin, we still sin in the following ways, really. Um, maybe we say, God didn't really say that. Uh, that's not really what God wants for me. Um, I know what I want for myself, and I don't really think that's what God wants for me. Maybe sometimes we say, listen, I'm in control, not God. Uh, you know, I can always see my hand in my life, but sometimes it's hard to see the hand of God in my life, right? Some of us doubt where God's hand is in our life. And then a lot of times we also say, God, I know what's best for me. I know you told me to do this thing, but listen, I'll be fine doing something else. We'll be safe. You see, each of us, like tools, have been created for a purpose. We're not just some formless, voidless, shapeless, uh, meaningless people, like sometimes the world tells us we are, that we can just fill our life with any sort of meaning. No, we were created as tools for worship. If you think about it, every single person here on this earth, every one of us, desires desperately to worship. You know, this idea of this God-sized hole in people's hearts, I, I know probably a lot of us have heard that idea. Uh, each, and every, each and every one of us has a God-shaped hole in our heart. I think that's a really true idea. Um, and I think as you begin to explore what that hole looks like that's each, in each and every one of us, you're only going to clearly paint a picture of the kind of character that God has. You think about uh, people who are law enforcement or maybe even when we're watching a movie, uh, like a superhero movie or an action movie with good guys and bad guys, and we want to see justice in the world. We want, we're rooting for the good guy. We're rooting for the bad guy to go down. We, all of us, want to serve something that's good. We want to serve something that's just. We want to see justice in this world. We want to see and serve and worship something that's pure. We also each seek to ser serve something that's without end. Um, you know, think of all the different scientists. If, if you, maybe if you're a mathematician, uh, the human curiosity uh, and the the there really isn't no or there really isn't any limit for human knowledge or at least the desire for knowledge. Right? We all want to know more and more and more. It points to the fact that only something infinite can fill this desire in our heart for knowledge or maybe our curiosity. Another thing we seek to serve is something that is loving. And that's, that means truly loving, um, which is that we seek to serve something that will truly care for us, forgive us, and give us mercy, even when we don't necessarily deserve it. I mean, we could go on and on. There's so much more that could be said about this whole uh, that we each have in our hearts uh, that ultimately paints this picture of a God that can, that can only satisfy these desires. Nothing on earth can, only a God can. And you see, the fall of Adam and Eve, as many of you know, 
had a devastating effect on human nature. This desire for us to worship, this purpose we were created for, sin twisted that and twisted it into giving us what we call a sin nature now. We now have a natural predisposition to sin and to seek worship in the things that are not of God. You know, I was reading um, recently uh, the story of, of Cain and Abel. I'm sure many, probably everyone in here has heard that story. Uh, Cain uh, kills Abel because he's jealous of him, uh, because of the favor that God gives to him. And you know, something I didn't realize till recently about that story is before Cain chooses to kill Abel, God speaks directly to Cain. And he says this. This is Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. God says this to Cain, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. As we know, uh, as Christians today, and as Isaiah predicted in, in chapter 53, um, Christ came to took, take the punishment upon himself for our sin, giving us the freedom to have this restored relationship with God to give us peace and to be freed from this sin nature that we're all sort of uh, enslaved to. Paul talks about this really clearly in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. He says, it is for our freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. But I think as if, if you've lived as a Christian for any amount of time, you know far too well that we still struggle every day with this sin nature. Sometimes we let the flesh win, this, this part of us that wants to do evil, even though we're Christians, even though we've chosen to serve the Lord. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7, verses 18 through 20, maybe the most relatable passage of Scripture um, in the whole Bible. Paul, the same guy who wrote the majority of the New Testament, that God used to write the majority of the New Testament. He didn't write it himself. Paul says this. This is Romans chapter 7, verses 18 through 20. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but instead the evil I do not want to do. This is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin that is living within me that does it. Why do we wrestle so much with this sin, even as we've become new creations in Christ, like Scripture tells us? Even in this Christmas season, right, so often, this globally recognized holiday about the coming of our Savior, so often do we make Christmas about everything except Christ. So often we make it about ourselves, and in a sense, with our own sin, we spit in the face of God, just like Adam and Eve did, tell Him we know better. This is a hard truth, and Isaiah 53 tells us in verse 5, tells us this, it says, He was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities. What that means is that it was my sin and it was your sin that was poured out upon him. Not someone else's 
alone, but it was our sin. Me and you, as scary as this might sound, are, 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 are personally responsible for the punishment that was poured out upon Christ. And in a sense, when we sin, when we reject Christ and the things that He has for us, not only do we reject Him with our sin, but we drive the nails through His hands up there. It was our sin that put Him on the cross. Mine and yours. I don't know about you, but this is a hard truth for me to reconcile with. But I think whenever we come to an understanding of what sin really is, what it really looks like, how dirty and dark and disgusting it really is, when we really understand that, we can begin to live in this freedom that Christ promised us. Paul tells us this later in Galatians 5 about the kind of life Christ's Lordship provides. That it's a life filled with the Holy Spirit. The same one that Jesus calls the helper. Paul says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is the flesh. They are in conflict with one another so that you are not to do whatever you want. A little bit later down in verse 22, he continues, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and finally, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified with the flesh and its passions and desires. If you're anything like me, uh, I think a lot of times I forget about the last fruit of the Spirit that's promised there, self-control. There's been times in my life I know for sure that I've been beaten down uh, by life or by my own sin so much where I've forgotten and been deceived about the promise that Christ makes right here to us, that through the Holy Spirit we have self-control we have the ability to no longer indulge in the sins that have plagued us for so long. We have that in Christ today. We no longer have to indulge in the sins that have plagued not only us, but maybe the sins that have plagued our family for a long time. We call that generational curses sometimes, things that maybe we grew up with, maybe the things that were uh, un unknowingly passed down upon us and in, into our families, we have freedom over those sins through the Holy Spirit and through Christ, the spirit of self-control. I think that when we struggle with sin, we struggle with it a lot of times because we've forgotten that God has given us, you and me, control over our bodies, minds, and hearts through the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't mean that there's not a battle, right? There's still a battle. There's clearly in Scripture a conflict, a wrestling that happens. But just like any battle, we all need to be prepared. I'm going to go through this list and we'll, we'll close. But if you look at any, any training, any military training, um, you need the following things before you enter into a battle. You need an army. 
Uh, we need people in our lives, a congregation, a, a family of believers, not just a church building, but a church family, to help us wage this war that we're all going to fight every single day. We must confess to one another the sins uh, that have been done in the dark in our lives. Because here's the thing, those things that are done in the dark, once they're brought out to the light, they have no more power over us. This is what is so clearly uh, talked about in Acts. This is what the early believers did. We need to confess our sins to one another and strengthen each other here as a family. We need an army. Another thing we need before we go into battle is we need to understand our enemy. We, me and you both, need to understand the ways in which Satan has deceived us. And we've got to also understand that the ways that the, Satan has deceived you, they're not any different than any other way people have been deceived across all of human history. He deceives you in the same way he deceives me. And that's by getting us to see sin as something that is appealing and not something that destroys us, that destroys our peace, that destroys our friendship with God. And lastly, we need to be trained. If you look at any sort of training, military, maybe even, even in a sports team, maybe you're training uh, just in the gym, whatever you need, whatever kind of training, any good training will teach you that to uh, be effective in a mission, whatever you're trying to accomplish, you need to be able to root out the desires that are within you, those temporary desires that are within you, and place them on the back burner, root them out, and go forward uh, with the mission. We have to learn how to forsake temporary desires in the pursuit of a higher goal. Things that would be contrary to our mission. And I think to be well trained in the service of the Lord, all of us here, me included, need to do some soul searching and root out the desires that conflict with the calling that God has placed on every one of our lives. I want to end with this analogy. Um, infidelity within a marriage, when it happens, it breaks a marriage because it casts doubt into the heart. It, it betrays trust, but it casts doubt into the heart of the betrayed about where a spouse's love is really placed in. Whenever infidelity happens, a satisfactory answer is never, I just messed up. It won't happen again. It was just a simple mistake. It never is a satisfactory answer because once someone has betrayed their spouse in this way, they know and everyone else knows that they have deliberately chosen to serve something or someone else above their spouse. They have said in their heart, I love this thing more than I love my spouse. Even if it's for a moment, they've decided to make that decision. Christ calls the church, all of us, his bride. Whenever we choose to sin, what are we deciding to love more than God? Again, this Christmas season can be so easily about anything other than our relationship with God. 
So this morning, Christmas Eve, there's no, not, not a better time for each and every one of us to pray to the Lord, to search our hearts, and to ask ourselves, what is it that many times we choose to love over God? I ask us all here today, let's not dwell in slavery to sin a moment longer. But let's get on our hands and knees today and pray before God and give up this infidelity that we've engaged in towards our Savior. And let's leave that behind and let's be filled with the spirit of victory over this sin nature. If you bow your heads with me, before I pray, I just ask you that, um, you know, if you feel the Lord uh, speaking to you today, um, I, just, I just urge you to respond. And whatever that looks like for you, if you uh, need to come up and, and, and pray before the altar, if, if you want to sit there at your seat, whatever, if you want to stand, whatever that looks like to you as the band continues to worship, do that. Follow what the Lord has for you. I'm going to stand up here and uh, wait to pray with anyone, if anyone would like to pray together. But let's pray and ask the Lord to do something miraculous this morning. Lord Jesus, we come to you today, and we just thank you so much for sending your Son here on this earth. Lord, shape our hearts this morning. Do a miracle with us. Change us and help us to live in the freedom that you came to give us, Lord. You any longer, be unfaithful to you any longer, Lord, but to fully give over our lives to you, Jesus, and be the spirit of self-control that allows us to live in freedom for you today, right now, Jesus. We love you, God, and we know that this is only possible through you, Christ, and what you did for us on the cross, Jesus. We love you and we thank you so much today. In your holy name we pray.